This is Dennis Hopeless, writer of Spider-Woman, and you're listening to The Amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavostin and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Yeah, thanks everybody for joining us for what is a special essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, Dan, we're almost done with these essentials, but but before we get to the very, very end, we're going to be discussing this one. It's my pick. It is Amazing Spider-Man number 397, 398, and Spectacular Spider-Man 220 and 221. That's four different issues. Together, they come to they form the Voltron of stories known as Web of Death, which it's is written by... It's the 90s, by, people. I know. We're in the clone saga, people. Ah, clones! Terrible! Anyway, this one's written by J.M. Demetrius and Tom DeFalco, pencils by Mark Bagley and Sal Paschema. And um, after we talk about clones, Dan, as if you didn't have enough torture, we are going to give you the results of our poll to replace Flash Thompson with a new ho- for a new host for a new host for whatever we're going to be calling the new Flash Thompson Flash reviews. I know what we're going to be calling it, but we're going to save it until we get there. But anyway, Web of Death. Let's talk about it right now, Dan. Let's go. Bye. To make those rainbows in my mind When I think of you sometime And I want to spend some time with you Just the two of us We can make it if we try So, Mark, Web of Death, uh, the Clone Saga, and you are you are you are throwing something from the Clone Saga into your Essentials picks. So, uh, I mean, let's flash the red alert, like warning, warning, uh, potential career ender here. Web of Death, Mark, tell me why is this book or this series of books essential? Uh, yeah, Dan. Well, I I picked this one because. You know what? Regardless of the Clone Saga, I actually, and I will make this argument in in the episode, I think this is the definitive Doc Ock versus Spider-Man story. I think that um, this story, more so than probably any other, even going back to some of the really great Stan Lee Doc Ock stories. If um, this be my destiny. Well, that's a great, I uh, see, okay. 
sidebar before I talk about Essential. That is a great story. It is a great Spider-Man story. It's an essential Spider-Man story. But I do not consider that a Spider-Man Doc Ock story. No, I, I don't really either. Okay, just just putting that out there before someone inevitably writes it. How could you say this is the definitive Doc Ock Spider-Man story when you're a master planner? Because because the master planner is in that story for like all of five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah. So what what we have with Web of Death is, and the reason why I think it's the definitive Doc Ock Spider-Man story is because I feel that this more so than any other really explores the the complex history and the relationship to each other. Kind of this this reliance. It it, it almost feels like you know like a Christopher Nolan Batman Joker story or or a really well done super you know like a um Grant Morrison Superman Lex Luthor story in terms of like the, the establishing the reliance these characters have on each other how one cannot exist without the other um and and I don't know I just feel that it really comes across beautifully here um you know while still being in the vein of a Spider-Man comic in terms of being a superhero comic. So um, that is kind of first and foremost. And then I guess just a secondary reason why I picked this one is, you know, we're, we're talking about the clone saga and, you know, red alert, ha ha. Here's the thing, people, as reviled as the clone saga is considered by some, you know, although I'll argue that parts of it are very good. Um, it's a, it's it's an essential era of Spider-Man comics, and and you know like we're we're so much so that we're, we're getting stories today in Spider-Man that are very heavily reference the Clone Saga. Um, I mean, you know, people even when people are cracking jokes, I mean, the Clone Saga is not dead and forgotten. There are plenty of other stories from the '90s that have been swept under the rug and are never spoken for again. <laughs> Peter's Android parents, <clears throat> um, but the clones, <laughs> the clones live on. They're essential, man. And and if we're gonna, if if we can acknowledge that, I think we should at least pick a story that you know comes from this era kind of deals with some of what was going on um, as part of that story and was a satisfying story to boot that dealt with other elements of the Spider-Man universe. So that that is my, my main reasons. Um, Dan, before we talk about some of the finer points, uh, what was your initial take on this? Well, uh, you know, I think it's an enjoyable story to a certain point. It's certainly, and you're going to make fun of me about this, but I think it's certainly far darker than... Most Spider-Man stories. This followed up the the Spider uh, like era of of Spider-Man, where Peter kind of got lost into his Spider-Man persona and became the Spider. Dun dun dun. <laughs> um, and so he's kind of coming down from that. He's poisoned here, and it's kind of him dying. And and in fact, he does die <laughs> during sorta. the story. Sort of. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's enjoyable for that, and I like what you said about the Doc Ock thing, um, and that it is similar to a Batman story. And I think that might be my biggest um, criticism of this story as an essential Spider-Man story, um, even if it is representative of the Clone Saga. Is that, and I, and we know that JMD, uh, who is one of the co-writers of this, has 
often taken Batman stories and put them into a Spider-Man context, like Craven's Last Hunt. And that does not say that Craven's Last Hunt is not a good Spider-Man story. Although we've had, to, I've had a discussion in the past about whether or not that is amongst my favorite Spider-Man stories because it just is so tonally different than what I consider Spider-Man. Um, and I think that's kind of my feeling here too. Is I like this story, but I don't know that I buy these characters doing it as much as I would buy if it were like Batman Joker. Um, as much as I like this turn for Otto being so reliant on Peter, I don't know that I feel like their relationship has ever really been that way, um, that it has been reliant on each other. I mean, yes, Otto has tried to prove himself superior, but I don't know that he would go through the you know the, the hassle of bringing him back to life in order to continue proving that. And maybe that's my kind of like own limitations, but um, there's just parts of this where I read Doc Ock and the way that specifically JMD writes him um, that I just, it doesn't read as Doc Ock to me, but there's parts where Tom DeFalco writes him and it seems very rooted in the Stan Lee era Doc Ock that I associate with Doc Ock and would later, I think, really come to the forefront during Superior. Do you think there's any merit to that criticism, Mark? Slightly, but I, I, I guess I don't see that distinct of a difference between what we the Doc Ock we get in Amazing and the Doc Ock we get in Spectacular. Um, I mean, there, there, there are little things that come with um, each writer kind of getting their own take, but I mean, this also very much feels tonally to me like a joint effort. Cause, cause I mean, in addition to, to, to DeFalco and JMD, I mean, you know, the, the clone saga was kind of corroborated the way the, 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 the brain trust brand new day era was, I mean, there was Howard Mackey and there was, uh, Todd DeZago and there was, um, Terry, um, Kavanaugh and, 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 and plenty of others who were kind of playing off of one of each other as they were developing these, these very long running stories. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I guess to finish work, you can kind of, you know, give ownership to one writer over the other, but I, I, I didn't see it as, as, as cleanly as you did in terms of, Oh, this is one version and this is the other. I mean, in, in terms of, you know whether or not this works as a Spider-Man story. I, I, I guess you know my my defense would be. I mean, this was this. You know, comics comics are just by natural evolution are going to reflect the time and 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 this was what '90s comics were for, for better or worse. I mean, a I lot. I was going to say this is like during the period where Spider-Man was allowed to be his most mature. I mean, this is, I mean, this story is the story where we find out that he's going to have a child. Um, yes. And that's something, certainly something we'd never see today. So going back to this is really quite alarming because he is an, like for no all intents and purposes, an older character. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, this is not this is not a kid Spider-Man book anymore, and 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 there's a lot of maturity to this. Not even just to how Peter is portrayed, but yeah, I mean, like you know, like we're we're dealing with Aunt May dying, but like there's more 
there's something kind of realer and rawer about what she's going through than than um, previous iterations of Aunt May kicking the bucket. Does that make sense? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like, like, you know, there's a, there's a realness to her and her deathbed and, and kind of trying to communicate from beyond and whatnot. And then, of course, like you mentioned, the stuff with MJ and Peter. I mean, like, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to comment on was, you know, kind of irrespective of, of the characterization from the, the writers, I, I really love Mark Bagley's work on the two amazing issues. Um, and, and like when he draws like MJ kind of coming back and Peter, like they're, they're so haggard and like chiseled looking and, and, and like, I don't want to say old, but like these are, these are characters that have been through the ringer together or because of each other. And, 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 and that's the reflection. I mean, like, you know, the, the, these comics were taking a more real world take. I mean, it was like, we, you weren't able to just kind of brush aside the, the, the tragedies, um, the way we maybe did 20, you know, 15, 20 years earlier in the comics. So I, and I, and I felt like the way that works visually kind of added to that maturity of it. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of acknowledged in the text of, of this comic. There's even a scene where you know Peter is suffering from this fever, and perhaps we should go through what is actually the plot of this story because it is a little more obscure than some of the ones that we've done before. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, uh, you want me? You want me to give the summary here, or? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go through the summary, and then we can talk about some of the meta-textual stuff that's in this book. Well, well, Peter was actually so. So essentially, Peter gets poisoned. Um, I believe it was like an arc or two before even this one, and and it was actually during a fight with uh, the Vulture, uh, and and um, the, li- the life theft. He, well, it post life life theft though, because there was like this two. There was this four parter. So so you know we kicked off just to really get deep into this for a second. We kicked you know the Clone Saga kicks off. Um, around, you know, from an amazing Spider-Man standpoint, around 394 when Judas Traveler and Ben Riley show up. Um, but then, like, for a couple of months, Ben Riley was having his own adventures in Adjectivalist Spider-Man and Web of Spider-Man. And we kept following Peter in Spectacular and Amazing. And, um, and um, kind of, so post life theft, um, which is when, you know, Peter's parents are revealed as androids and they die. And that's really where the book goes dark. Um, really, really dark. Um, we kind of have these run of issues and, and Peter fights the vulture, like the young vulture again, and he gets poisoned by his talons and, and he's, he's teaming up with daredevil who at this point is like in his, his gray, uh, hockey pad suit. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the nineties. Nineties. Um, so, <laughs> so, um, so he he's he's dying. It's like I mean, it's it, there's there's no cure. You know, like all hope is lost. Um, you and, delivered that like Annie Hall. Well, yeah, he's dying. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And um, and who happens to come upon his like you know slowly slowly dying body but doc ock and doc ock has it you know has it upon himself where he's like no i'm not gonna let my mortal enemy die 
like this. I like if if he's gonna die, it's gonna be by my hand. So Doc Ock with Stunner. This is also the storyline that introduced Stunner, which you know people from who read Superior Spider-Man might remember that Amazonian woman, you know, with the blonde hair who you know could beat the crap out of people. Um, it was you know, a Stunner, virtual reality construct. Yeah, I mean, Stunner is is Doc Ock's girlfriend in this, and 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 I think that plays into also Doc Ock's characterization. But I'll get into that shortly. Um, you know, he, he so Doc Ock basically resigns himself to cure. He unmasks Spider Man, so he learns he's Peter Parker. But that's almost like irrelevant. It's 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 more about I need to fix this man. So that and, and and he uses the word so we can continue our dance, and so it, it, it's it's all about Otto trying to to develop a serum to help Peter. It's kind of like the inverse of Master Planner, um, and um, I never thought know, over, about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and 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 then over the course of the story, you know, Peter kind of like at one point. Otto thinks he found a cure, but it's only a short-term cure. And that's where like Peter reunites with MJ and finds out she's going to have a baby. Um, you know, Aunt May had just recently had a stroke in the book. So she's like in a coma. So Peter like visits with her. Um, and you know, there is a sequence where Peter is believed to have died from one of the serums that Otto gives him. Um, but you know, as he's going to the light, he kind of like gets chased back to earth. Um, and, um, you know, spoiler alert for a 20-year-old story, the story ends. So, so Otto saves Peter and actually, like, plans this elaborate, like, I'm going to get sent to prison and Stunner is going to break me out of, like, the SWAT wagon um, so that you will be forced to fight me again. Because that's the thing. Like, Otto wants to fight Spider-Man once he heals him. And Spidey's like, are you kidding me? You just saved my life. I'm not going to fight you. And he's like, no, no, we have to continue. We have, we, we need this. We need, I need this. You need this. We need this. Um, so Otto plants this whole elaborate kind of Doc Ock-esque plan. And the whole thing goes foobar when Kane shows up and kills Doc Ock. And that's how it ends with Doc Ock, with the mark of Kane. So, um, Tears for Doc Ock until the hand resurrected him years later. Well, it's especially like fun because all the covers to these issues teased the death of a 30-year-old character, which leads you to believe that this actually is the death of Spider-Man, which is kind of true in this story. But to have it twist and be Doc Ock is, is kind of a nice little shock. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a stunner, if you will. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, that but was, that was the sound I was thinking. Yeah, but no, I, Dan, I, I, I get what you're saying. And, and I, you know, like at the risk of undermining my own pick, I, 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 I don't disagree with it. But like, you know, we, we've, we've, we've talked about with this Essential series. It's not it's not always, you know, first of all, they're not about being the best stories. But like, you know, there are stories that that need to be representative of, of what the character has been through over the years and how it's evolved. And I think this is, you know, in terms of a snapshot of this era, I feel this is, I mean, from a quality standpoint is one of the better ones, but, but has a lot of very critical mythology layered within it. 
Well, it's it's funny because uh, you know I started reading Spider Man around three seventy five, not long before this, and so a lot of my like early impressions of the character are from this kind of darker, more aggressive time in Sp- Spider Man's life, I guess, if you will. Um, and it's funny that I like kind of disassociated myself with a lot of these stories, even though I think many of them are quite good, including this one. Um, it's just I, I have trouble because I find I mean you talked about this in the, the our last essentials episode um, you know I, I I have trouble finding joy in these comics because it's just so much naked aggression and pain and much of it in this issue a lot of it with Peter Parker in the back seat I mean even the spider thing like it's literally the the text is that Peter Parker is no more you know. Um, and, and and I think you're right. That is a significant part of Spider-Man's history and does deserve to be represented. Um, and, I, and I hate to bring my own personal preferences into this because I, I just I just have such I just I really wrestle with these stories because I, I come to the series for the joy of Peter Parker and his foibles, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I almost feel it's essential chiefly because of how it it, it serves as, you know, you you would have nothing to juxtapose, you know, your more, you know, the, the, your more ideal vision of Spider-Man without these stories. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, we, we, we've talked about with like brand new day and, and other eras of the book where, you know, like there's like been this insistence from Marvel. We got to get back to the basics, you know, like we got to get back to what makes Spidey work. And, 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 you know, like you can't get back to somewhere without getting somewhere first. And I, and, it, and it's like, I feel like, you know, this is the most extreme end of Spider-Man, you know, polar opposite of Dicko Lee, right? And, and maybe that's why, you know, like, the more I think about the Clone Saga, I mean, it was full of a lot of junk, but, like, for me, I think as a young kid, and maybe I wasn't aware of this at the time, why I rejected it was because it was so serious and, and joyless and... And the, in this very story, the stakes get raised to a level that makes you rather uncomfortable. Like, Peter's death doesn't just mean, like, well, he's no more. It's that he's abandoning, you know, an unborn child, you know. And, and, and it does – it gets raised to such a level um, that, you know, perhaps a chi- child Dan was not prepared for that level of stakes in these books – um, and, and, and to this day, maybe I still am not ready for that, for reading a book with that level of stakes. Yeah, I, I get you. I, I, again, I don't disagree. I, 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 for whatever reason, I find these issues to be a little more enjoyable because there's, I, I don't know, I still find a layer of fantasy to them. It's still, it's still superhero comics. It's just darker superhero comics. Whereas like, you know, when I was talking about some of my discomfort with Kid Who Collects, which, again, I'm still not arguing against that the essential nature of that story. I'm just saying on a personal level, it's hard because, like, you know, that book, you know, to me can sometimes get a little muddy about, you know, am I, am I reading, like, a real-life story or am I reading a superhero story? You know what I mean? Like, like, I mean, this is so over the top. You have, 
you know, giant women with bulging muscles that are, like you said, virtual reality constructs and men with mechanical arms and, you know, and, and can we talk about Doc Ock's um, white suit in yeah, this? I, I, lo- I love it. Like uh, this is, this is, I think of all the snapshots of Otto from this, from, you know, over the years, you know, we have, of course, you know, the original like lab coat auto and then like the, the, the green and yellow auto. This is, I think my favorite costume. Yeah. It's really fun. And I, I, you know, I loved seeing it reappear in that superior team up issue that Ron friends drew a couple of years ago. Um, that was really great to see that suit return. Um, I mean, Otto is, I mean, let's talk about the art of these two books. They couldn't, they're very, they're quite different. Uh, yeah, but but they're but they're both to me enjoyable in their own ways. Oh you know yeah, I mean? absolutely. Uh, but like Mark Bagley's Otto is a very distinct entity. He is yeah. very un- unique, uniquely Mark Bagley. Yeah, there's one panel, and I'm trying to remember. I, I wish I wish I could find. It's someone tweeted this to me many years ago, but it kind of stayed with me, and I, I still laugh every time I see the panel. It's in, I think it's in um, three ninety seven, where, or maybe no, it's in it's in three ninety eight. It's when when Peter first takes the the serum again and like like looks to be poisoned, and Otto like kind of like does like the deal with it pulls the shades off and i think someone like on twitter once tweeted out and like they showed like david caruso from csi and then like posted like you know the scream from the who for who are you underneath it because that's, 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 <laughs> that's what it looks like just thought i'd throw that out there but um i don't even know where i was going with all that but 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 yeah, I mean, but like that's the thing. I mean, We're he's a good-looking about- dude. This Otto in this book. Yeah, he's pretty slick. I mean, you know, and and like I I think that's something to be said too. I mean, when you talk about Otto's kind of lacking that that bombast and pretentiousness um, and egotism, you know, I, I I do think there's something to be said, and and this gets explored more, and you know, or more context is given to this in the. Um, kind of the the afterword to this story, which is in that Spider-Man Unlimited issue number three, the funeral for an octopus story, which was the one that the, the superior team up kind of responded to with Ron yeah. Friends and Kevin Shinnick. Um, whereas like Otto Stunner has a level of happiness and contentment that he has not known since that woman that his you know he was going to marry that his mother manipulated and then it turns out was retconned and Green Goblin killed her. Uh, I was, was going to say because this Doc Ock is very uh, self-reflective, like yeah. and one of the things I never associated with Doc Ock is the ability for him to look at himself critically in the mirror. Yeah, but I feel like it works because of Stunner. He he seems so happy because of her that I can see him, you know, because you know what's is she what's his the, Melania Trump. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, what's the origin of Doc Ock? He's essentially what Peter Parker could have been if Peter Parker didn't have good role models and people who loved him in his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was who, who put him on the path of great power must also come resp- great responsibility. You know, Otto is, is be, you know, uses those powers for evil because he he doesn't know love basically. 
Um, you're really bringing me around on this story. I mean, I liked it before, but you're you're really adding a lot a lot of depth to it. So uh, what? Well, that's why I say it's about the, this. I say that's why I think it's the definitive Spider-Man Auto story. I really do. I think it hits on a lot of the history of the, of these characters. I'm still don't know that I'm ready to go that far, but like, but yeah, this is this is this is great stuff, and. Uh, yeah, do you want to talk about I mean like it is important that this issue also happens to be MJ is pregnant. Uh yeah. you know, I, 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 do you, would you want to talk about that a little bit and the and the reveal of that? Um yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's 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 funny like I I almost don't lump that in with the essential stuff because, you know, obviously Marvel never found it essential. <laughs> they, <laughs> and so they were kind of like, oh, crap, what are we going to do now? <laughs> like, and no wanna... one knows to this day. Yeah. Um, but there's a nice moment where, like, Peter basically has moments to live and he and MJ, like, reconnect after not seeing each other for a long time. And uh, there's a great scene with them running towards each other and embracing and her telling him the news. And he kind of – his whole tone turns around. He's so excited about this. But the back of his mind is this idea that oh, I don't really have much longer. <laughs> so, like, what am I going to do here? Yeah, yeah. And, like, the two of them at the restaurant I thought was a very well-done scene in terms of, like, Peter just trying to kind of power through it, um, you know. Whereas, like, normally in those situations, it's like, you know, you're, you're waiting for the supervillain to break into the restaurant and ruin it. And it's, it's just Peter not being able to, you know, not be close to death. <laughs> I mean, this story covers all the third rails of, like, Spider-Man comics. You know, Peter's death, Aunt May in a coma, a ma- the marriage, a baby... Like, what more could they add on top of this? You know, it, it's all the things that people, like, find controversial in Spider-Man stories. Well, how about killing a major character? So, that's I mean, that's... true, too, yeah. And, and, and I was going to say, I mean, like, you know, both from a historic standpoint and just specifically in the Clone Saga, I mean, yes, we have Aunt May's, we have Mary Jane's baby and, and, and the lovely stuff that follows. I mean, and it really is great. I mean, like, it's, it's like that, that scene of Peter... Like I have to, I have to save myself. I have to save myself. It's so powerful and potent. Um, but in terms of Kane, I mean, you know, prior to these to this story, Kane is kind of this mysterious, shadowy figure in the background, and you're kind of like, what's what's the deal with this guy? And when he comes in, I mean, you know, I know in our last episode, I, I was going to challenge I, you. I, yeah. Okay. 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 But <laughs> Mr. Hypocrite over here. All right. Anyway. Yes, I know I can criticize Francine Electro or whatever I called her, uh, Electro scene, um, killing off a ma- you know a couple of major characters in one fell swoop. But you know, Kane Kane introduces himself to the world in very potent, but the very potent way here by by just ripping the hood off oh, a oh, swap nickel and potent is the word. Yeah. And again, we, we do reference this story during Superior when uh, there was that crossover with Scarlet Spider and Kane and, and Otto or, or Superior Spider-Man goes to, like, beat the crap out of Kane for killing him. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I don't know. What else? What else? Way, way to else? narrowly avoid being a hypocrite. 
Um, Regarding anyway. Francine. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say on this, Dan? Because I mean, you know, I, 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 I've, I've analyzed. I, I could talk about this story for hours. Um, I, I really enjoy it. Like, I, I do want to this put out there. I know I just said, Dan, what do you want to say? And now I started talking over you. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I don't think the Clone Saga is as bad as people make it out to be. I think it's some, one of those things that spiraled out of control. Um, and I think most of the creators who worked on it would be the first to admit that. Um, but like, especially like the front half of it, like, you know, till about maximum clonage. Um, this was a really solid story that kind of went places that other Spider-Man stories wouldn't go. Um, in terms of the character and his relationships with different people. And, and to me that, you know, this is a highlight of, of, of a very good run of stories in the clone saga because of how it, um, it, it, it really gets to some interesting introspection. And yeah, Mark, I, I, I think, I think it's a good pick and I think we do need representation from the clone saga in our essentials list, although it's not going to be up to us. Um, and, uh, I'm going to submit, I, I, I have a clone saga story on my list, which we'll probably do with our next essentials episode that, um, you know, I think the difference is that my story has Ben in it. And I wonder if I want to get a story for the clone saga that includes Ben Riley in it. Um, yeah. but I, I think the real bummer is that we already discussed revelations, so we're not including it on our essentials discussion, um, because I would happily choose Revelations as well as a as like the definitive Clone Saga story. Would you Would you include that on your essentials pick if it was an option? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I I I mean, in lieu of this one, you're saying, or I'm just saying in general, like as a representation of the Clone Saga. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting. I, I'm. I mean, it's it's the story that ended it, so it's a big one. But I don't know how much. I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say yes or no. Yeah, you're on your own. I mean, even this story is really kind of tangentially connected to the Clone Saga. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, it's it's worth considering. Like, what is the pick we choose for a Clone Saga? And can we choose one story from the Clone Saga that is universally liked or respected enough to be, you know, worthy of this list? And I, I think you make a really good case for this story. Uh, I, I liked it, and you certainly made me like it even more. Um, and perhaps that's just kind of reorienting my context for this. Because reading it out of the blue, it does seem like it, like a, a, a portal from an, another world. You know, like, boy... This is what Spider-Man comics were like at one point in time. Yeah, it's it's unique. That's for certain. Yeah, sure. All, All right, right well, it was fun talking to you about this. Let's talk about the friendly neighborhood spider talk. Mark, you finish it. Members Club. And a little straighter, walk a little prouder, be an innovator, laugh a little louder, joke around the trainer. We can show you how to swim. Will you be then? You belong, you belong, you belong.
Dan here again. Thank you so much for listening to our amazing Spider Talk show. I know Mark and I have such a fun time producing it, so we love to know that you guys are out there listening and writing in and enjoying the show. To that point, I hope you're enjoying our discussion of Web of Death, Mark's choice. It's kind of a strange choice, but I think it was a good conversation anyway. But uh, I want to encourage you to check out our Patreon account. It is the one thing that's helping us keep the lights on and pay off the hosting costs and other fees associated with getting all the awesome guests we have, like the ones we're getting next week, you're going to find out about in a moment, keeping our site running, and building our community. Our show takes a lot of hard work and research to come to you every week, so any help you can give us is hugely beneficial. This week, we have three new members to our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. So welcome to the club, Will Lowe, Tyler Seth Parsley, and Garrett Wees. Thanks again, you guys. Your support means the world to us. Every week, we give out free digital comics codes and members-only podcasts to our members, but we also love to raffle exclusive prizes to those who signed up. This week, we're giving away a Funko Pop version of Scarecrow from the Batman series. Again, not from the Spider-Man series. Yes, there is a Spider-Man Scarecrow villain, but this is not him. It is the one that we're probably far more familiar with from Batman. So anyway, let me fire up my high-tech randomizer here. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Hold on a second. Let me get it. And the winner of the Scarecrow Funko Pop is none other than Austin Walker. So congratulations, Austin. Check the mail soon to receive your awesome prize. On the next Essentials episode, we'll be raffling off a couple of amazing books about the history of superheroes and critical thought on some of the best comics ever made. The first book is called On the Origin of Superheroes. It kind of discusses where superheroes came from leading all the way up to action comics number one and it's written by chris gaveler and secondly i've got a book here called grant morrison and the superhero renaissance by dara green and kate roddy it's great critical thought about uh, about grant morrison's comics i think you guys are going to really like it so these are two great books for a hardcore superhero fan and if you want to get them you got to remember you got to join the club to enter our raffle but you'll also be entered to get all kinds of t-shirts, coffee mugs, bumper stickers, and that's not random. You get all that stuff, and you get so much more in the mail. So go to Mark or my site and click on the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club banner and join for the low cost of a comic a month. If you consider our show entertaining enough to be worth at least a comic a month, we'd love to have you as part of our club. Well, enough dawdling from me, and I'm sure you're sick of all my advertising, but uh, we're going to take you right back to your regularly scheduled program on the same spider time and same spider channel, which again, I don't know why I'm saying this, is now and whatever you're listening through this on. So uh, thanks again, and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Promised after 
weeks and weeks of voting and me making jokes about it on Twitter, it's time to announce the winner of our new B book review segment. Um, Dan, the big question is, did our winner make a beeline to the top or was he downed by a woman named Deb? It's a good question, Mark, because it was really close there for a while, and I thought for sure Deb was going to pull it off. But like most of her relationships, the longer it went on, uh, the worse things got for her. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, she definitely seemed to be losing her flavor after a while. Yeah, so um, uh, we do have a winner, and I want to say that like everybody fared decently. Like, you know, last last place was Gabriel Stacy with six votes. <laughs> uh, we had 76 votes in total, which I'm pretty happy about. That's a nice, a nice uh, turnout from all of our support fans here. Um, next up with, was Nathan Lubeski, who squeaked in, if you will, <laughs> uh, one vote higher. And then the not-quite-so-lonesome Pincus came in with nine votes. People wanted to hear him sing more songs. But uh, second place came in uh, Deb Whitman with 23 of the votes and Mark... Who took it home? That means, as as you predicted from the get-go, Dan, the host of our new segment, which we will be calling the B-Book Buzz, is Swarm! S-W-A-R-M S-W-A-R-M A reanimated Nazi skeleton A reanimated Nazi skeleton Reviewing B-Titles while he's covered in bees Reviewing B-Titles while he's covered in bees He's permanently covered in bees. Actually, he's permanently covered in bees. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. He's coming for this podcast. He's coming for you. It's time for Swarm's B title reviews. It's time for Swarm's B title reviews. Danke, danke. To all of those wonderful people who voted for me, I'd like to congratulate Deb Whitman on the hard fought battle. However, under the force of my crushing might, she was obliterated, and I, the master B-book reviewer, have the name Chancellor. I mean, winner. But just a few more words before I turn the show back over to Lana Mark. It's a moment like these that remind me of some profound words I once read. If you want to shine like the sun, first you have to burn like it. And it is not the truth that matters, but victory. But enough with these modern displays. What you really all want to hear are bee jokes, right? Buzz, buzz. I'm happy to be here, right? Wrong. Nine. I'm swarm. I'm power. I'm might. You will now all kneel before me. Don't you mean before me? <sighs> yes, before me. Keep thinking that, silly man. I'm going to kill you with bees. I'll be back. Nine. Why did I say that? This segment got, like, ten times scarier. I mean, Flash, you know, provided a certain thrill. But, uh, I don't know, was that Mein Kampf he was quoting? I don't know, Dan. He, he, he might have he to check that book out to see what the buzz was about it at some point. Oh, jeez, not you, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway... Well, we now that we have this this terrifying demagogue as the um, yeah, thanks, host of our thanks segment. everybody for voting yeah. for Swarm. I mean, yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll be curious to see what he brings every every two weeks. Yeah, 
<laughs> hopefully, hopefully it'll be tasteful. Maybe, uh, hopefully, he won't try to storm his way into other parts of our show. You know, no, no, no stormtrooping, please. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's first Poland, and now, now uh, the main reviews. Sixty seconds. Um, we're essentially going to be testing our knowledge of World War Two. I know, I know. This is this is this going to be interesting, Dan. I'm going to have to bring my B game. Oh, jeez. All right, let's just get into the B reviews. All right, first one up is going to be Spider Gwen Eleven. I think I feel like you've led off the last few. Do you want me to lead off, Dan? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let me count you in for Spider Gwen number eleven in three, two, one. Yeah, so after a rough patch in the middle issues, I feel like this uh, Gwen Stacy powerless arc continues to hit on all cylinders, building on the foundation of mythology that uh, Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez uh, laid out both in volume one of the series and then some of the stuff in the beginning of the second volume. Uh, And apparently it really feels like it's hitting a fever pitch. Uh, There is something inherently emotional and gripping about what's being laid out here. Uh, There are stakes that I, and I care about these characters. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the creators themselves are very invested in in these characters. Uh, Things that are also set up uh, in in a fashion where the story can go in a number of different directions, which keeps me uh, from getting bored from any predictability of it. So I'm going to give this one, one buzz worthy. What's that sound, Mark? Well, that's the sound of bees. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, what uh, what do you believe uh, in this comic? Uh, in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark. This issue has one of those endings that makes the wait for the follow-up issue just brutal. That's the sign of a good setup issue, and this is one of those. Uh, we get plenty of well-constructed angst and thoughtfulness from Gwen and a variety of speeches from the supporting cast that may or may not be motivational, like the Bodega Bandit. Uh, but it's all building towards an epic conclusion in the Frank Castle story, and with the tease of Norman Osborn, who could say where this is headed? All that said, uh, Robbie Rodriguez's art has taken a turn for even more abstract and punk rock-inspired visuals, and I think it's completely to this book's benefit. There's no other book in, Mar- in the Marvel Universe or that Marvel's publishing that I think is as brilliant of a pairing of visual design and character. So I'm with you, Mark. Buzzworthy. Nice. We started off, uh, yeah, it's sapotica. We're like, we're like uh, you know, two bees in a honeycomb right now, Dan. Is that, is that a, a saying? I don't know. Just don't be the queen bee about it, okay? All right, I won't. All right, all right. People are going to hate that they've made this choice already. Uh, well, you know, live with it, people. Yeah, live right. with it. Just just be okay. Be okay. All Carnage right. 11. Count me in, Dan. All right, Carnage 11 in 3, 2, 1. Uh, this narrative seems to be uh, back in a forward direction again, uh, though Jerry Conway's script still feels like it's kind of overstuffing itself with some obscure content from the distant past. Still, uh, Mike Perkins continues to make this uh, one of the, in my opinion, the best looking books in terms of establishing such a creepy, otherworldly aesthetic. Um, and I also like the fact that we have Carnage in Peril here, which is, I mean, when was the last time we actually saw Carnage seemingly meeting his match? It's a fun twist. Uh, so after a couple of uh, downward issues for me, I'm giving this one buzzworthy. Right, why don't you count me in for this one? Uh, three, two, one. I guess it's uh, totally fitting that creatures like the, and I'm going to butcher this, the Chiton. I think Chiton you're right. Thon Brood would show up in a book like this, and boy, I found these guys super creepy. 
Uh, this book feels like the start of Conway closing the final chapter of his story, and I guess the solicitations would have us believe that is true, and I think the book is all the better for it. We've got multiple converging storylines, including Brock, you know, like having control over his suit, while Jameson is losing control over his Wolfman form, and it only means bad things. So I can't wait to see all these monsters converge in Conway's finale, especially with Mike Perkins' absolutely terrifying artwork that does way more than wink and nod to the Predator films in this issue. So I'm with you, Mark. Buzzworthy. Are there more than one Predator films? There are. There's Predator. There's Predator 2. There is Predators. Uh, there is Alien versus Predator. There's Alien versus Predator a Requiem, and there's an upcoming new Predator film. Do you like Predator films, Dan? Um, I like the first Predator film. Um, I think Predators or Predator Two or Predators, whatever it is, is a mixed bag. And I thought the one from a couple of years ago was a mixed bag as well. But uh, yeah, uh, I've seen them all. All right. Interesting. I wonder if it's just because you envy the long dreadlocks of the Predators. Yes, that's absolutely it. I want okay. so badly. Anyway, Spider-Man number seven. All right. Count you in in three, two, one. So, Dan, I've admittedly been giving this series a hard time. And while this current issue hasn't done much to change my mind, I think that some of the irritating plot points and characters from the last few issues have been pushed aside into something that is at least a far more pleasant thing to read. Uh, with that said, whatever happened to Miles being the Spider-Man in the Marvel Universe, being a teenager and fighting traditional street-level villains, this book still has not been as advertised, in my opinion, and instead just kind of feels like a weird mishmash of a continuation of what we saw in Ultimate versus uh, on top of something completely different and not even fitting in anyway. Um, maybe once Civil War II is over, we can get back on the steady ground. But as of now, this book uh, might be the biggest disappointment of this latest Marvel Now or whatever you call it initiative. So I say nine. Nine, 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 nine. All right. Uh, let me talk Spider-Man 7. Count me in. Three, two, one. Yeah, um, I like that Bendis seems to be positioning Miles Morales to be the kind of middle ground character that Peter Parker was in the original Civil War series. You know, he's confident that he can trust in Tony Stark while being like kind of hopelessly unaware that he's being somewhat manipulated by him. And it seems in this issue that like everybody around Miles seems to understand that. Uh, much of this issue is a conversation between Miles and Lana Baumgarter, or Bombshell, um, regarding you know his role in the upcoming Civil War and her relative ambivalence to it all. And I think there's an interesting moral question being asked against a backdrop of the two being you know being superheroes. Um, but I think it's a bit undermined, like you said, Mark, by the continuing question at the center of this whole series. And that's of Miles' place in the regular Marvel Universe. I still think this is compelling, if drawn-out stuff. And I love the scene between Miles' parents in bed. I thought it was excellent visual storytelling. So this one's doing just enough good to eke out a Bugs Worthy from me. You just eked it in under a minute, Dan, so be careful there. I did it. I did it. Um, Spider-Man 2099, number 14. It's a book we've been really down on, so uh, let's see how the issue does in 3, 2, 1. Uh, Despite my grumpiness about this book over the past few months, I actually think things are starting to move in the right direction again. 
Uh, I still think this book is at its strongest when Miguel is in his own timeline trying to deal with 2099-ish things. I also find that uh, dealing with uh, ham-fisted elements like Civil War II tie-ins um, sometimes kind of has Peter David straying from his focus. Um, but uh, in this book here... Um, I just want to give it a chance. I want to see it succeed. I don't know. There's something about it. I, I, I especially if we're going to be in 2099, uh, I just hope that we can keep Miguel there, uh, continue his story that we originally saw in the 1990s. This is more or less what I wanted out of this book. Uh, even if the situation is that the timeline is changing. So I'm going to give this a buzzworthy. Uh, Dan, you go in three, two, one. Yeah, Mark, actually, weirdly enough, I'm right there with you, and I, I don't think I could have said it better myself. Um, this is a surprisingly clever chapter in this series, especially considering things are getting a bit more tied up, especially all the character, you know, the inclusion of all the characters from Secret Wars 2099. Did you ever read that book? I did. I thought it was a good book. Yeah, I thought it was fun, too. Um, the inclusion of this futurist APA Act is similar to what we've been critical of before, though, I think, which is a sudden inclusion of more characters and plot complications without resolving previous ones. But at least in this, too, I enjoyed this kind of twisted future that David is, is painting here, or Peter David, rather. Um, and I, I hope we can get a both resolution and some kind of consistency like this, you know, uh, moving forward from the series. So I'm giving this one a buzzworthy as well. That's four buzzworthies for you, Dan. I know. I was in a good. I was in a good mood this week. Yeah, you know, and someone nobody pissed in your Cheerios. I guess you know. People are always doing that, Mark. It's yeah, disgusting. Yeah, that is disgusting. Why would how, you? Why how would... did you know about that? I've never publicly complained about that to you. <laughs> That's gross, Dan. Enough. Uh, huh. Anyway, why don't we take us home? All right. So, of course, uh, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com. And you can, you can listen as I slowly am poisoned by whatever pee is in my cereal. Um, and you can also find all of those podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and, of course, most recently on YouTube where you can subscribe by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing. And of course, like always, we'll read it on the air. And that goes as well. If you have any opinions on these comics or any questions, you can email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or call 9RedGoblin. We haven't gotten a voicemail in a little bit. Um, and you can also tweet at us by you know, leaving a hashtag OK to print. And we'll address and read those on the air as well. People have been commenting on our site and emailing me and saying okay to print. You don't need to say okay to print. I mean, it's helpful so I know what I can read on the air. But uh, it's mainly just so that I can search the hashtag okay to print and find all of your tweets instead of having to memorize where they are every week. So, yeah, okay to print. It's good on Twitter. Hashtag. Looks like a waffle iron. Yes, it does. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I don't have anything else to add to that joke. Uh, be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages and subscribe and listen to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, to keep up with the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. You'll get much more uh, thoughtful reviews than the little 60-second B-clips you get on this show. Yeah, and it won't be interrupted by a reanimated Nazi skeleton covered in bees. Um 
I also wanted to say, um, you know, we have our Facebook pages, but there's also a fa- amazing Spider Talk Facebook group where we have a bunch of listeners to the show kind of like creating this kind of forum for people to share Spider-Man related content and their thoughts on things. It's kind of been growing quietly, and I've never mentioned it on the show, but if you're kind of curious to meet other Spider-Man fans and and get involved with some, you know, a Facebook presence, just look for the Amazing Spider Talk Facebook group and ask to join and you can kind of join in that club there and and chat with us about Spider-Man. It's it's been kind of fun uh, and quietly building there. So uh I guess I'm just going to mention it on the show, not to add one more things for you guys to do, but it's kind of a fun place to be. More homework, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, and the, and speaking of homework, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club to help support the show and win awesome prizes like the ones announced on today's episode. Uh, Mark, next week we're going to be doing one of our Spider Talk and their amazing friends episodes. Uh, you lined up this great interview for us. Who are we going to be talking to? Yeah, Dan, um, the the plan as of now is that we will be talking to, um, interestingly enough, two architects of the original Clone Saga, Terry Kavanaugh and Howard Mackey. Uh, How timely. I know, right? It's almost like we we planned it that way. So... um... But no, I mean, uh, you know, we we we've been we've been chatting back and forth, and we're we look like we're we're a go to have this conversation. So hopefully, by the time um, people are listening to this episode, uh, that conversation will be had, and then they can expect to hear it next week. Awesome! I'm really excited to be a part of it. Um, Mark, Clone Saga, all this good stuff, and all of our insights on Spider-Man. Where can people find more of it, specifically related to you? Well, you know, provided that I'm not so busy that I have to get my clone to write it for me, uh, yeah. uh, you can find me at superiorspiretalk.com or you can tweet at me at chasingasmblog. Uh, you know, it's it's September, so in addition to um, comic books, we got the Mets in a pennant race, got fantasy football season starting. Uh, I always want to talk about bacon, so, you know, tweet at me, folks. Come at me. So what you're saying is it's mute mark on Twitter season. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> don't give them ideas. Don't 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 do what Dan Slot does to me. <laughs> <laughs> or so you assume. We don't have yeah. any evidence of that. Don't 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 go barking up Dan Slot's door saying, "Why'd you block Mark? Why'd you block me? Why'd you block me?" No, uh, Dan, where can we find you and and your conversations with Dan Slot? Yeah, I'll be happily chumming it up with Dan Slot on Twitter at at sup spider talk. And uh, you can read all of our awesome writing over at superiorspidertalk.com, like Mark said. And, uh, you know, I wanted to again point out we have this awesome new weekly comic series that's kind of burning up the charts, The Spectacular Spider Snark by a friend of the show, Kyle Christ. So uh, go check that out. It's a lot of fun and, uh, and a lot of good laughs and wonderful artwork. So uh, hopefully by the time you see this, we got our third issue out. So that's kind of been fun. Cool. So, uh, Mark, you know, uh, we've all fallen in love with a digital girlfriend at one point in time, but there was, you know, one time where you became really quite obsessed with the girl you met on the digital screen. Were you ever able to break free from a love addiction that strong? Oh, man, you're, you're, you're really kind of getting into my more dark and insidious side here, Dan. I guess that's fitting uh, in an episode where we talk about the dark and insidious clone saga. Um, yeah, you know... 
I, I, I had some issues uh, with a, a, a digital manifestation of, of a female. Were um, you being catfished, Mark? No, no, no. Well, okay. Here's the thing. So um, I actually was logging on to uh, the computer used by my Uncle Ben. He left like he, he was on some kind of like social network site um, and um, left his account open. So I, I went on there and and it wasn't so much. I wasn't being catfished, but. You know, I kind of there was somebody that he was, I don't know, trying to have a conversation, you know, trying to strike some stuff up with. And, you know, Dan, he was with Aunt May. I mean, you know, I was kind of pissed off at him. So I more or less catfished the person on the other end and, you know, started doing all the sexy talk. And and I I became a little obsessed with it. Uh, You know, like I really. Were you doing sexy talk as Uncle Ben or as you? Yes, as Uncle Ben. As Uncle Ben. I was, I I broke into his account and rather than let him carry through on this affair, I pretended to be him uh, to kind of, because my intent was to like talk, talk up to this girl and then, you know, do something so that um, she would lose interest and, and Ben would not stray from my Aunt May. Right. Oh, I was, I was curious. I mean, I, I would be worried that, you know, you had only further provoked this woman. Well, you know, lessons to be learned, Dan, you know, with great power and all that. So, um, yeah, like a very awful thing happened. Um, you know, I, I, I basically, had Uncle Ben break it off with this woman one day on this on this on this you know network thing? Uh, I don't know the name of it, like Match dot Harmony or something. I, don't I thought know. it was MeetanUncle dot com. <laughs> MeetanUncle dot com. Very nice. A lot of bad things came from this site. Well, Dan, you know, I guess like I don't know. He 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 must have in an early when he was on the account himself. He must have like made plans to meet up with her, and he. Um, went, he went to the mall, he was going to meet her at Cinnabon and, you know, Cinnabon, that, that won't kill you. Uh, and, and this woman like freaked out and murdered him in the mall. Kind of serves him right. Well, I guess, but she only murdered him because she thought he was messing with her by breaking up with her, but still wanting to meet her. I mean, you know, like stop playing games with me, Ben Giannacchio. Um, and Did you order at, a Cinnabon afterwards? <laughs> well, so I had a, I had a decision to make, Dan. I was already online at the Cinnabon when this happened. So do I go through and get the Cinnabon, or do I help my Uncle Ben? I I got the Cinnabon. I brought it over to Uncle Ben, hoping that the aroma of the Cinnabon would revive him. And he did kind of stir for a minute. He stirred to just squeak out. Oh, that smells awful. And with great podcasts must also come Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next